Welcome. Um, my name is Josh Houston. I am the lead pastor here at City Reach LA. Welcome today. We are currently in a, actually we're wrapping up our August sermon series, Redeeming Relationships. At the beginning of the month, I preached on redeeming sex. Nick, two weeks ago, preached on peacemaking. Last week, I was, I was going to preach on divorce, but we were in Columbia. We came back, and I really felt like God wanted us to share what happened in us and through us on that trip. Um, so we were talking actually at staff on Monday, and the staff said, we, we think we should come back to the divorce conversation. So I'm actually going to preach on divorce in November. I just wanted you guys to know that. I am going to come back to that. Today, singleness. Um, I'm very excited about this. Um, my, my pastor, my mentor, um, Bill Doctrum, he's here with us today. Um, I just wanted to, to share just a quick, just a quick intro. Um, he is pastor. He is professor. Is it professor of pastoral theology at Vanguard University? It's where I met him 13 years ago. I took my first class with him. I've had a number of classes with him in undergrad and grad since. Um, actually, I think it was a few years ago, we were meeting over coffee, and he referred to the, our first meeting um, over lunch. He's like, do you remember our first, our first meeting? I was like, vaguely. He said, yeah, we were at Corner Bakery. And he's like, man, you had the world figured out back then, didn't you? And this is, this is, this is Bill. He, he's, he's been somebody in my life who shoots straight with me, who's not impressed by me. We all need somebody like that in our life. Um, if you don't have someone like that, you need to get someone like that in your life. Um, Bill, he married Amanda and me. Um, he, he wrote the forward for my book. In fact, my book is based off of our conversations together. They're, it's, it's like founded off of my relationship with Bill, in fact. Um, Bill has pastored me and mentored me for a long time. Um, and I, I think just like in a, in a broad perspective, besides my parents, there's not a pastoral voice that I respect and cherish more than his. Um, if you've been impacted by my pastoring, you've been impacted by his pastoring. Um, so I, I want to say, Bill, I cherish you. Um, you are a dear, dear friend. I could do a 30-minute intro for you. I'd love to brag about you for half an, hour, half an hour, but I'd love to hear you preach, too. So would you uh, help welcome Bill Doctrum? There are um, protocols that I go through when people ask me to come and speak. Um, usually I ask, I ask Judy first, um, my wife, what, WWJD, <laughs> right? What would Judy do? That, that's what that means in our family. Um, and then, and, and if she's okay with it, I ask Jesus. Um, and because and, the two of them get together pretty consistently. And so she, she's no, then he's no. So you know what I mean? Um, and this is one of those times when, when um, I, I barely even had to ask because uh, I love Josh and Amanda so much, uh, and I love this church, uh, and uh, I'm just really, really glad to be here. I wish I could talk about something else, um, because as it turns out, singleness is the least important thing about anybody, as is whether you're married or not. At least in terms of Jesus, right? You'll notice not one single person who were his disciples did he ask, as a condition of your following, are you single or are you married? He just didn't care. Because his goal is not happy marriage or fulfilled singleness. It's at the end of the day, I think you have what it takes to be like me. Whether you're married or single, that's true. 
So he will take advantage of whatever status of relationship you find yourself in to get you to that end game. Does that make sense? Uh, so if you're a single person, the goal is not a satisfied, fulfilled single life. The goal is Christ-likeness. If you're a married person, the goal is not a happy marriage. It's a holy marriage. And sometimes holy and happy don't go together, at least not on the way, right? So that, that's hard for us because we live in a culture that that's almost one of the first kinds of things we want to know about somebody. Would that be, would that be fair to say? Where, where do you... Where do you, where do you, are available, you, you, you know, um, and, or, or how, however, how we want to think about it. So when we talk about singleness, I think it's got to be put in the framework of something uh, much broader, if you will. And it takes us back to all the way to Genesis 1 where everything begins and, and the nature of relationships between persons anchors itself back in Genesis 1. So I'd like you to sit with me uh, on this text for just a minute before we look at some uh, other, other texts. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, God said, let us make humankind uh, in our image according to our likeness. Let them rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky, over the cattle, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created humankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them, and then God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it, and rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky, over every living thing that moves on the earth. So, snapshot, I wish we could spend <laughs> a bit of time on this, but please notice, image of God is humanity. All men, all women in collaborative, cooperative, relational community. That's the image of God from the beginning of time. Well, just after the beginning of time. Until after time ends, humanity, humankind is the image of God. So not a single person is created as God's image, but you, in relation to other persons, are part of the image of God. So he needs persons, married, single, male, female, to adequately image him, young, old, all different races, all different ethnicities, all different uh, capacities in terms of mental abilities and creative abilities. All of us together are what it takes to image God on the planet. Does that make sense? So what, what we ought to be, be, be kind of orienting our thinking on is not our status, whether male, female, whether married, single, whether old, young, whether creative or challenged, right? We, we ought not think of ourselves as though, because those are expressions of our identity, which is part of the image of God. They are not our identity. So the first and most important thing about any of us is not whether you're male or female, whether you're a um, single person or a married person. That, that's not the most important thing about you. The most important thing about you is that you're part of the image of God. And that in order to image God well, we need to be in collaborative, cooperative, relational, non authoritarian, mutually empowering relationships with one another. 
right? And, and, and Jesus embodies this in his, in his, in his ministry. Uh, he, he has disciples who are married, and he has disciples who apparently are not married uh, throughout the history of the church. It just was irrelevant. Both women and men, I, I find it fascinating. I was talking to a, a, I don't know what's going on with my life lately, but I've been invited to do women's ministry events lately. So I was speaking at a women's breakfast yesterday morning. Uh, and they have way better food. I just want to say, at, but that's a different thing. Um, so, and 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 it, and it occurred to me in 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 working through this that if we define ourselves first by gender, we're we're going to end up in the wrong place. Uh, it, does that make sense? And that's hard for us because that's a, a pri- especially in, in our culture right now, gender is a primary way of identity. And, and, the, and the scripture wants to say, well, no, it's an expression of identity, but it's not a definer of it, right? You'll notice that when Jesus, uh, and this is where I was going with that uh, from yesterday, was he has women who are part of his crew of disciples, most of whom, by the way, are the responsible for bankrolling the ministry of Jesus. Not the men. These are fishermen. We have women who are contributing out of their financial resources to support the ministry of Jesus. And he does not, with exceptions, but he does not identify them based on their relationship to a man. They're not so-and-so, the husband of, the daughter of, which is what that cult... And think about this. Here's a Jewish rabbi in the first century in a culture that dismisses women as spiritually significant because they are out of the worship loop two, month, two weeks out of every month. And Jesus just says, that doesn't actually disqualify you for following me and supporting me. Your identity is way more important than your gender, right? And so that informs how we think about whether married single expressions ought to be redeemed. And the reason I wanted to look at that foundational piece here is because I think if we, if we don't get that first button in the first hole, we're going to end up wrong, right? You know what I mean. If you're buttoning a shirt, and you get the first button in the first hole, you're probably going to be okay. But if you get the second button in the first hole, no matter how well you button thereafter, you're not going to be okay. <laughs> right? So this is first button, first hole stuff. You're the image of God or you're part of the image of God. That's the single most important thing that can be said about you. Right? And that then is the piece that God is redeeming. He can use your singleness to get you home in time for dinner, or he can use the fact that you're married to get you home in time for dinner. But his goal is that you be fully yourself, most like Christ, which in his view are the same thing, whether you're married or single, because he needs single women and men who are part of his kingdom. Why? Because there are single women and men who are not yet part of his kingdom who need folks to include them. He needs people who are struggling in their marriage to be part of his kingdom. Why? Because there are people who are struggling in their marriage who are not yet part of their kingdom, his kingdom 
who want to see how the struggle in marriage is resolved as a result of being part of his kingdom. Do you see what he's up to here? It's genius. I mean, it's brilliant. Because for every one of you, there's dozens of folks out there who are very much like you and wonder if there's anybody like them in here. That's why the most important work of City Reach LA is not here on Sunday morning. It's at wherever it is you are on Monday morning. Does, does that make sense? So how do we manage this? What the, the goal of, of, of our personhood being, um, being uh, uh, Christ-like. So, so, so there are two, pas- two passages of Scripture that deal with this uh, in, in, in more explicit focus. The first, Jesus has been teaching in response to some pretty provocative questions by, uh, by the Pharisees regarding marriage. And he's talked about the nature of marriage and, and the disciples are kind of blown away. Because Jesus really raises the bar on what marriage is and is about and so on and so forth. And, he, and they come to the conclusion, verse uh, 10 of Matthew chapter 19, if the relationship that, then between a man and his wife is like this, like you've just described, it's probably just better not to get married. Right? And, and, and they said it almost as a joke. One of the problems, right, with translating the Bible is that we don't see the humor. We can't see the, the, the gleam in Jesus' eye when he tells a joke, when he's teasing somebody. We can't, we can't hear the laughter as the disciples make these kinds of statements. But, but, but because marriage was so much a part of the commonality of understanding in that first century, when they say, if the way you're talking is true, then it's better for people not to get married. It's a joke. In other words, Jesus, what you're saying can't possibly be the way life is because it doesn't fit with our culture. And Jesus wants to know, want you to know, his kingdom trumps culture. Oh, I wouldn't. His kingdom, (laughs) sorry. I'm working really hard to expunge that from my vocabulary. So his kingdom supersedes culture. You, you with me? So, so um, is anybody watching this anywhere? Um, so anyway, um, with that said, here's the joke. If, if this is the nature, and Jesus, unfortunately, pushes back. Oh, guys, you don't understand how serious this really is. You want to talk singleness? All right, let's talk singleness. And he uses a euphemism. What was current in the first century means something very different in our culture. But here's what he says. Not everybody can accept this statement, only those to whom it is given. For there are eunuchs who were born that way from their mother's womb. There are eunuchs who were made eunuchs by other people. And there are eunuchs who made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom. He who is able to accept this, let him accept it. So using this language, which for us has much uh, more uh, graphic understanding, he's saying simply this. There are people who are single, who have been born single, who have no interest and no desire to marry. There are folks like that. And that is a legitimate expression of full personhood. Second, there are people who are single by decision. Either their decision or the decision of somebody else, right? The person they asked to marry them said no. 
And they have chosen as a result to take that no, and their singleness is defined by somebody else's decision. And Jesus says that's a perfectly acceptable expression of your identity as part of the image of God. Nothing wrong with that, right? Now, here's the problem. If you have heard a no and can't accept a no, that's going to get in the way of your understanding of yourself as valued and valuable because you will take that no as a definition of your worth, your value, your significance. You don't get to do that. If your identity is locked and loaded as beautiful, beloved, chosen, precious, son, daughter of God, then somebody saying no to you says something about them, but nothing about you. It's critical that we understand that. Right? It is, and by the way, can we be clear? It's okay for people to have preference. But please notice their preference arises out of their understanding of who they are, not out of who you actually are. Because let's be clear, you're not compatible with anybody. I mean, I do a lot of marriage and pre-marriage counseling, and a lot of times we, yeah, I mean, I get compatibility. I get that we like to, you know, play video games together. Well, cool, that'll see you for about 10 minutes after you're married. You know, now what? If one of you is a man and one of you is a woman, you're not compatible. So now, what is marriage? Same thing singleness is, learning to live with somebody who's not like you. Learning to be part of the community. Does, does that make sense? So that's the first one and the second one. And then he says, there are those who have chosen singleness for the sake of the kingdom. They have made the decision, even though it's difficult for them in the moment, that this is a better way for them to serve in the kingdom of God. So three classifications of single persons, all of whom have validity and value, in themselves because of their connection to the image of God or the body of Christ. The New Testament version is body of Christ. You with me? Okay, so that's one. And then and, and Paul, Jesus' friend, who probably was married and likely got his wife divorced him when he embraced Christ. Because you can't be a rabbi like Paul was without having been married. So... 1 Corinthians chapter 7, where Paul talks about a, 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 a possible way of thinking about divorce being desertion of a person who's not following Jesus, uh, in all likelihood is applying to him. And so when he, pushing back in a Corinthian culture, uh, highly sexualized, way more sexualized than our culture is, at, at virtually every level in virtually every expression. Uh, and, and so when Paul is talking about singleness in that culture, he says this, I want you to be free from concern. Please notice how he starts this conversation. I want you to be free from concern. One who is unmarried can have single-hearted concern about the things of the Lord, how he can please the Lord. But the one who is married has to be concerned about the things of this world too. How he can please his wife or husband, her husband. His interests are therefore divided. The woman who is unmarried and the virgin 
is concerned about the things of the Lord, that she may be holy both in body and spirit. But the one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how she can please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to put a restraint on you, but to promote what is appropriate and to secure undistracted devotion to the Lord. Now, he goes on and develops this, but this is the framework. He says, I want you to be able to live a single-focused, heart-focused life. And if you're married, that's way harder than if you're single. Now, the truth is, and Paul knew this, it's tough when you're single, too. Because it's not like only married people have distractions of the world. Can I get a witness? <laughs> right? It's people, whether married, and, and, and candidly, one of the biggest distractions that single people face in following Jesus is whether they're ever going to get married or not. That can distract you from your single-hearted focus on serving, knowing, honoring, loving, and following Jesus. Similarly, I was joking. Well, I wasn't really joking. It was actually true. But when I talked about when I get invited to go places and do things, I talked to Judy first. I almost talked to her before I talked to Jesus. Why? Because if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. That's, a, that, that's kind of a euphemism, but you understand what Paul's saying here. If you're married, you have a, by definition, a divided loyalty, which is why Jesus, or Paul rather, will later on talk about the fact that when you get married, please make sure that both of y'all are heading in the same direction. If you're not, he uses this language of equally yoked to refer to uh, this, this, this partnership if, if you're not heading in the same direction as the person that you're yoked to, something's going to give. You're going to wear yourself out by trying to negotiate life heading in two different directions at the same time. Right? He, 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 he underlines. So, so here's core principles flowing out of this are these things. If you're married, stay married for crying out loud. If you're, but if you're single and can... Stay single. Why? <clears throat> Why? Principally because single people have fewer distractions and potentially less concern about divided loyalties. They can serve the Lord without needing also to attend to the needs of a spouse. Now, that doesn't mean they don't need community. We desperately need community. We need five-dimensional intimacy in order to be human. Social, intellectual, emotional, spiritual, and physical intimacy. We need to know and be known in all five of those dimensions. And I'm, I'm just, I know you've got this already nailed, but let me just underline it. Physical intimacy is not sexual, except in a protected pattern of relationships. But can you imagine going through much of your life without a single human touch? Babies thrive when they're embraced. That's not sexual. That's human, right? One of the ministries my son, my youngest son had when, when we pastored our church in Glendora, he was six or seven years old. His job on Sunday morning was to go around and hug all the old ladies, right? And he took it seriously. 
He had a list in his head. It's six years old. He had a list in his head of, of Grandma Polly, and then there's Juanita, and then there's May, and then there's... And, 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 and they, they, they look for it. They didn't quite line up, but they look for it, right? Why? Because physically, when you are an elderly person, isolated from family systems, you can go through a whole week and never be touched by somebody who loves you. And in that, you die. Just a little bit. Doctors, nurses, different, different touching, right? But an arm around your shoulder when you've had a hard day, that's not sexual, that's human. We need five-dimensional intimacy in order to be human, yeah, right? So that said, um, single persons are no more excluded, and that means I have to, as a single man or single woman, I have to accommodate myself with properly boundaried relationships to allow flourishing in all five dimensions without diminishment. That's hard work. That's hard work. That's what becoming like Christ, however, ends up meaning. By the way, can I just say it out loud? Married people need five-dimensional relationships with other persons, too. Men and women need five-dimensional intimacy with persons to whom they are not married. Otherwise, the full weight of your intimacy needs are layered on your marriage, and there is not a single marriage of which I'm aware that can handle the weight of five-dimensional intimacy. Guys need men friends and women friends. Women need women friends and men friends. Appropriately boundaried, and here's the problem, right? As soon as I use that language, I... What? 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 Because our culture has trained us that it's impossible to have appropriate boundaries that enable male-female relationships without sexualization. And Jesus is just saying, guys, you've got to get this together. Because the world that you live in desperately needs a network of relationships that is not defined by gender that is not sexualized, that images God wisely and well. Okay? So what do we think about this? Uh, Paul wants to go on and says there's no harm in marrying if you want to or if you need to uh, and can, uh, but it will make things difficult. And here's the thing that sets Paul's advice in 1 Corinthians uh, kind of in a backdrop is that he's dealing with a culture of persecution. Uh, so, so if, if you are, I, I know how this works. If I'm a husband or a wife and somebody wants to get at me, the best way to do that is through my spouse, through my wife, through my, through my husband. And Paul is just aware of that. If you're alone dealing with torture or persecution, that's one thing. But if the fact that you are a disciple of Jesus means your most loved person in all the world is getting brutalized, that, that's going to push you over the, over, the, over the line in a way that even your own being persecuted might not. And Paul's dealing with this. He, he's aware of this. Uh, and, and so he, 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 he put, puts that on the table. So a couple of strategies for, for disciples of Jesus who are single. First of all, to remember your primary identity is not male or female, not man or woman, but disciple. 
the central task then is to follow Jesus, to identify, to develop your core solid identity as beloved, chosen, precious child of God in whom he is well pleased. That's critical. Everything else flows out of that, right? So if, we, if we're, we're anxious about a relationship, because singleness often includes things like dating, and there's a whole protocol then of dating in Jesus' name, that actually can be helpful in growing you to Christ-likeness, whether it eventuates in a marriage or not, right? And this is critical. Uh, so, so, but if our identity is, I gotta find somebody, well, what are you gonna do when you do? Will you be somebody then? If you're looking for somebody else to help you know who you are, guess what? You'll never know who you are. You'll only knew, know who you are as reflected by who they think you are. That's not you. That's the conformed self that the Holy Spirit can empower, that conformed self. You with me? So that's for second is it's important as part of that primary goal as a disciple, primary goal of life is the kingdom of God and his righteousness, which means the goal of Christ-likeness, and God can work towards that outcome whether you're married or not. So it's critical for us to understand marriage is not a promise for everybody. It's like, it's like I, ha I have to walk with couples who, who, who are married and, and, and dealing with struggling with in infertility issues. Children are not a promise. They're, 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 they're a wonderful gift. But even if it's the desire of your heart, God is not obligated, right? God is not obligated to find you a mate. And this is the crazy part. I don't know the background of y'all, so, so forgive me for this, but I grew up in a church setting that believed that God had somebody for everybody. And it was your job then to find that person. It was a needle in a haystack, right? Is this God's will for my life? I don't want to settle. Can I just be candid? Everybody settles. Whoever marries you is going to settle. Right? They're going to miss out on everybody else. And, and the reason I say that is because a whole lot of our single identity is crippled by the relentless pursuit for the one, for the one. No, 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 no. That's not how it actually works, right? But that's a, that's a whole other thing. So what do we need to do? Develop core relationships of intimacy. We've talked about that with other persons. And, and while I'm at this, circle back around in terms specifically of physical intimacy that may have a sexual expression if we're not careful. It's one of the primary reasons why chastity, an old-fashioned word but a good one, is necessary for both single persons and married persons. Chastity is not about what you do in your body. Chastity is the order of your heart. It says, I refuse to think of other persons primarily as objects for my own desire. That's what enables women and men to be in relationship without sexualizing the relationship. If I think of you first, as gift, if I think of you first as the image of God, as I think of you first as person, I'm much less likely to reduce you to an object for my own pleasure. 
So this becomes a critical uh, part of that, and I'm sure Josh covered that um, in, in his sermon. So, which means then we, have to, we do have to guard our sexuality very carefully because there's nothing that will take you sideways in terms of single identity than a relationship that has gone sexualized. And this is challenging for us, right? Because we are part of a, a tenderized hookup culture that just says, you should probably sleep with me because I bought you dessert. It's like, uh, uh, you had the pleasure of my company while we consumed said dessert. You are paid in full, bucko. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, come on. Uh, so, so anyway, um, okay, so uh, when we think, I, I want to talk a little bit about ministry to single uh, in, 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 in the few minutes that I've got left. Um, because of the um, uh, fluidity and flexibility that singleness enables, single persons have a, a capacity to manage resources, time, money, possessions, that free them up uh, potentially so, uh, for, uh, for uh, ministry uh, and, and service. Uh, I have a, have a, a friend who, um, because he is single, a lifelong uh, uh, single man, every summer he is, he is traveling in ministry and on mission somewhere. And he, he has the fluidity, fluidity and flexibility to do that. He has financial resources. He saves throughout the course of the year so that when he goes on mission, he can take stuff with him. He can take water filters in a suitcase. He can take all kinds of... Uh, now if he, and he's told me candidly, part of the reason he has... This is how he is redeeming his singleness. He's taking advantage of the flexibility that he has as a fairly high-income single man to leverage that, he is living beneath his lifestyle, beneath his income level by about 35%. Guess where that 35% goes? It goes right back out the door in mission and ministry. He has the option of doing that. You see? Uh, build a team of mutual support and accountability that includes both married and single persons. And, and can I just talk to the married people in the room for a minute? You've got to include single persons as persons in your network of community. One of the things that happens, right, is that when we're looking for people to go out for lunch with on Sunday after church or have over to our house for dinner, we think of people like us. And if you're a married person, who do you have over? If you're a married person with kids, who do you have over, right? And Jesus says, no, I need you to build the kingdom. Single women and men are like you, disciples. They are like you, part of the body of Christ. Fellowship with them too. And, 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 and if you're a single man or a woman, you can actualize this. Invite yourself along. And if you're not inviting yourself along, you be the catalyst that makes the arrangements. Where are we going to go for lunch? There's a fabulous Mexican place down the road here that I would drive an hour for. Yeah? Do you see what I mean? And it's, and, and it's silly, but it's, that's, that, that's the practical reality of building the kingdom. You'll notice in Acts, there is no distinction as they shared fellowship, family back and forth, eating together and so on and so forth. There's not a single indicator of whether they were married or single, had kids or not. 
Why? Because that's the least important thing about you. Unless you make it otherwise. Strategize with other singles and perhaps marrieds, especially in the area that we live in. I have, I have uh, uh, our church in Long Beach that I, I, I work with. We have a lot of singles and marrieds who live together in a kind of shared housing. Long Beach is a very expensive place to live. Uh, I'm sure Santa Monica is uh, uh, likewise expensive. Uh, so, so why limit roommates to singles? Why not model a more communal way of living that enables you to do life together, to pray together? Uh, some of our house church uh, folks uh, are, are uh, living together in a communal living arrangement. Again, appropriately boundaried, appropriately respectful, appropriately uh, ordered. But don't you think the world needs a model of how single men and, and women and married men and women can do life together without relationships going sideways, especially in the Me Too era. We need to have men who are godly men who won't use advantage, right, in relationships. It's the only way to turn the corner on this, guys. It's the only way to turn the corner on this. A um, few final thoughts. Uh, if you are single... Whether you're called to it or not, use your singleness to leverage your discipleship. Make it a spiritual discipline. You might not always be single. The truth is, marriage is moving later and later. Average age right now is between 28 and 31. So the age at which people get married is moving, moving up. So there's a, there's a chance if you're a single man, single woman, that that will, will occur. But until it does, don't waste time thinking, when I marry, then I will start to move towards Christ-likeness. No, you won't. If you're not doing it now, marriage isn't going to make it easier. I got to tell you, it's probably going to make it harder. Right? Because you're going to be heading in... You, you get the point. Okay, so, wh wh while I'm at that, desperation creates false attraction. If I'm desperate to get married, I will in all likelihood blow through what normally would be stop signs in the desperation. I'm driven by desperation. It is it is way better to be single than to be married to the wrong person. Way better. And that's, that's challenging for us, but nonetheless. Uh, attitude is everything in this. If you view your marital status as your primary identifier and you wish it were something else, and by the way, about half of the people who get married wishes it were something else currently. So singleness, apparently, marriage doesn't fix anything automatically. And nonetheless, uh, so, so, so count it all joy. Life is going to happen. It doesn't wait for your vote. You're going to bump your head on reality. So why not live within it with gratitude? Uh, choose to, to live with joy and gladness uh, rather than become bitter and resentful and a victim of your own life and other people's choices. Uh, because um, if you don't like hanging around with you, what makes you think other people are going to? Okay, let's just leave that.
Don't limit friendships to singles of the same sex. Embrace couples. Um, and while I'm at this, children can be raised successfully and well by single people as much as by married people. Both married and single persons need to raise children within community. Right? Uh, and, 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 and given the number of kids who slept on the street last night, we need some single men and women to step up to the plate of foster care and safe families and uh, foster adopt systems. I mean, there's 26,000 in L.A. County last night, if statistics hold true. 26,000 children on the street last night. So that can be a place of expression of ministry, yeah? Um, the, the main thing I want to say, and then we'll close in prayer, is to live your life fully as it is. Don't waste time wishing for somebody else's life. Live yours wisely and well. Every once in a while, look around, see if there's somebody around who's keeping track with you, but don't be anxious if they're not. Remember, we serve a single Messiah. Most of the disciples were single women and men. My favorite disciple, Mary Magdalene, drawn to Jesus by love in a way that none of the guys were drawn to him. And not in a, in a seditious kind of way. The purity of their relationship is evident every time you look at their interaction. They have a playful joyful relationship it was not relevant that she was a woman yeah so live your life fully to the glory of God regardless of your marital status uh, let me pray for you father I thank you for the women and men in this room um, I don't know them all that well they have been kind and patient with me um, but I suspect, Lord, that there are some places at which some of these ideas have landed, and I pray that by the power of your Spirit, you would just press in to that and that you would be glorified in, in outcomes as we reflect on this in Jesus' name.